This is Your Morning Basket, where we help you bring truth, goodness, and beauty to your homeschool day. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 62 of the Your Morning Basket podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I'm so glad that you are joining me here today. Well, today's episode of the podcast is one with Dr. Christopher Perrin, and actually we have a special treat because at the end of the podcast, we're joined by his wife, Christine. I thought that Dr. Perrin would be the perfect person to talk to about prayer. And when we're talking about prayer, we're talking about communal prayer in your morning time. But when you talk about prayer, it's really hard not to talk about personal prayer as well. So we also got off into that topic. And so this episode is one of our longer ones. It's well over an hour long. So you might have to break it up into a couple of sittings, but it is totally worth it. So much goodness here for your prayer life, whether that be communal prayer with your kids or your own personal prayer. So many things to learn, and I really enjoyed this episode. So we'll get on with it right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Your Morning Basket podcast is brought to you by the Christmas Celebration Morning Time Plans. These are a lovely three-week set of plans that you can use with your family during the holiday season to celebrate the birth of Christ, to enjoy the holidays, to take a little extra time to slow down and really enjoy each other and the season. And the best thing of all about these plans is they are absolutely free. All you have to do to get your very own set of plans is come on over to the website at pambarnhill.com slash Christmas, and you'll be taken to the shop where you can add them to your cart and download them for absolutely nothing. This set is full of holiday goodness, including selections from The Nutcracker for art and music, wonderful scripture to memorize, um, picture study of the nativity, some meaningful prayers, everything you need to make the most of your holiday season. So don't try to put this together yourself. Let us do the hard work and choosing all the books and do the planning for you. And you just come, download the plans, and look like a hero to your kids. That's at pambarnhill.com slash Christmas for your free set of morning time plans. And now, on with the podcast. Dr. Christopher Perrin is the co-founder of Classical Academic Press and a longtime supporter of homeschooling. He's an author, consultant, and speaker who is deeply committed to the renewal of the liberal arts tradition and to the idea of scole, or learning from rest. Dad of three grown children, Dr. Perrin has wisdom to share about living out the pursuit of truth, beauty, and goodness in the context of family life. And we welcome him back to the podcast again today as a returning guest. Dr. Perrin, we're so happy to have you here. Very good to be with you again. Well, let's, we're going to talk about prayer today. So let's talk a little bit about prayer as both a personal discipline and a corporate practice. Could you talk a little bit about how it's both of those things? Sure. You know, I'm thinking about um, the Apostle Paul saying in Philippians that we should 
pray without ceasing. And of course, there are many, many teachings and references to prayer in the in the Bible and the New Testament. I'm thinking of um, you know the disciples coming to Christ and asking him, "How should we pray?" And of course, he teaches them what we now call the Lord's Prayer. And you think about um, commands of Paul to to Timothy that we would we would pray. Other other passages uh, where Jesus tells us what prayer is and models for us prayer, like in um, John 17, the high priestly prayer of Christ. And, and then we just know from um, church history and church liturgies, the history of church liturgy or worship, that prayer is a significant part of what the people of God do when they gather together to worship and, and celebrate the Eucharist or communion. So it's clearly to be a part, a woven part of the Christian life. And I think when, you know, Paul says pray without ceasing, you know, some have tried to take that literally and always be at least mentally, even subconsciously praying throughout the day. But others have taken that to mean it's it's just to be a part of our life in the, in the, in the most uh, quotidian ways, meaning throughout daily life, prayer should be a part of what we do. I think about how in the monastic tradition that was incorporated to, say, seven seven actual offices of prayer, like in the Benedictine rule, where there would be uh, regular offices. That means just appointed times during the day uh, when um, the brothers or sisters in a monastery would gather and pray so that there was essentially prayer going on almost 24-7. So uh, with that as just kind of a context, yes, it's it's both something that we engage in corporately in the church and something that we engage in personally when we're not gathered together for corporate worship. Another way of thinking about this is that the home is to function like a little church. Um, this is the way uh, the Orthodox often talk about it, so that, uh, and I think you would find this in other traditions as well, um, more liturgical Protestant traditions, the Catholic tradition, where you, you might have a um, an icon corner, say, um, an, an altar, a, a place dedicated in your own home where the family may gather to worship, to pray, to read scripture. I love that idea that the family is a little church. You know, when we gather and we scatter as the church. So when we're gathered together, of course, uh, we we pray, we worship, we 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 offer ourselves uh, and all that we have to God, even as He's offering Himself to us. But when we leave the church, we we take with us this the same life, which is an ongoing conversation, an ongoing communion with God. That is the blessing of prayer. So I'll leave that as kind of a general comment. Um, that's what we're to be. That's what we're to to do naturally as being um, united to God through Christ. But of course, it's a challenge. <laughs> the, that, the way that we do that, how to do that, is it's you know perhaps a, a lifelong endeavor with um, maybe maybe for most of us um, you know hills and valleys along the way. Well, and that kind of leads to my next question. And I love this idea of uh, the family as the little church. And 
you know, having kind of this time and space set aside, what do you think, what do you think are some of the benefits for children to praying in community as opposed to just learning about prayer as something they do silently on their own? Yeah. Well, I think this was a similar question uh, in the minds of the disciples when they asked Jesus, how should we pray? It's a great question to ask. And so Jesus models for us what prayer could, can and should be. Children are going to learn to pray by by praying with others. Uh, we know that you know, children are imitators, and we know that a, um, a large portion of what education is, is imitation. The children are going to become like we are. Um, Luke 640, the student is not above his teacher, but when he is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. So we know that we are reproducing ourselves in our students and in our children. And I think this applies to prayer. They're watching us. I think um, using the Lord, praying the Lord's Prayer, and using the Lord's Prayer as a kind of template for all prayer is one great way to begin if we want to know how to pray. The Psalms have been considered to be the prayer book of the church for centuries, memorizing the Psalms, praying the Psalms, using the Psalms in our own our own uh, worship in the home, you know, as functioning as a little church when we're doing this together. And of course, our churches are doing this anyway. Uh, the Psalms should be a part of the prayer life of the church woven right into our services or liturgies. So I think um, going to the scriptures, going to the Lord's Prayer, going to the Psalms is a great way, great way to begin. But there are also some lovely recorded prayers that the church generally has has created and, and uh, you know curated that are are very very much worth having and knowing. For example, just to cite one example of many, but uh, Saint John Chrys- Chrysostom. Chrysostom, uh, his his divine liturgy mm-hmm. that's used in um, Eastern Orthodox churches is a, a very rich collection of prayers. Uh, there are various prayer, prayer books like the Anglican uh, Book of Common Prayer. The Catholic tradition has its own, and there there are, there are many others uh, where you can you can essentially um, get what sometimes are called breviaries, other kinds of prayer books that have lovely recorded prayers. I know some folks in the Reformed. Protestant tradition have enjoyed this collection of prayers called the Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers. It may surprise some folks in uh, the Protestant or evangelical church to know that in the past, prayers were carefully crafted and written <laughs> and uh, and then prayed in services. Um, they weren't always made up on the spot by, uh, you know, the pastor. Right. Well, and let's talk about that for a second. What mm-hmm. What is the value of having a prayer like that, that is already written, where where you you read those words or you speak those words out loud, you know, mm-hmm. does it does it mean any less because it's already written out? What would be some of the value in that? Yeah, you know, it's a really good question. The any good thing can be corrupted, so there's great value in say memorizing a psalm. Uh, and and letting that psalm become your prayer to God, it's inspired. Uh, it's been it's been used by the church to great ef- great effect for 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 centuries. Why wouldn't you want to do that rather than just coming up with something on your own on the spot? But but you know, 
the devil can get in there too and turn that into something kind of deadening and dry and unthinking. You can end up finding yourself going through the motions in some kind of a lifeless ritual, just reciting a written prayer that you're not even not even thinking about. You know, your mind is a hundred miles away while you mouth the words of something that's recorded. And someone may say, instead of doing that, why not pray something that comes from your own heart and soul? Well, you know, both things are appropriate. Both things can be done well and as an honoring to God. There is a place for extemporaneous prayer from your heart, but that kind of prayer will be much better uh, instructed if you have memorized lots of scripture, especially the Psalms. And if you've learned and memorized, say, the Lord's Prayer, that's a template for all prayer, as well as being a wonderful prayer in itself. So Jesus is being asked by the disciples, teach us how to pray. And he's not simply saying, just repeat this and recite this, and don't worry about even thinking about what these words mean. Just recite it like a kind of magical incantation. That's that's what I mean. Of course, that's not what he meant. But can we lose can we spiritually uh, drift even while we're trying to pray a psalm or the Lord's Prayer? The answer is yes. And we need to know how to uh, kind of fortify ourselves spiritually so that that doesn't become some kind of empty, dead, repetitious ritual. On the other hand, if we just decide, well, we're not going to do that because we're afraid of the empty ritual, so we just want to pray from our heart, well, the the devil can get in there too, and some of the silliest things can be prayed if we haven't actually prepared ourselves in other ways before we pray uh, extemporaneously. So I would say it's a both-and proposition. You want to be able to pray uh, your own prayers, as it were, as the Spirit leads you, but those prayers will actually be cultivated and enriched by praying through the Psalms, the Lord's Prayer, and other liturgical prayers that have been created, sometimes we just don't know what to pray. Hmm. You know, and this is the case with me. When I begin my day or end my day with prayer, I use a prayer book. And the prayers keep me on a track of praying and thinking about the things I, I need to be thinking about as I begin my day and as I end my day. But in the prayer book that I use, there's a place where you, where, where you, where you pray your own prayers too where you pray from the heart. So in other words, it's encouraging both um, some recorded prayers and your own from the heart, say, extemporaneous prayers as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about something like your classical academic presses writing and rhetoric, where you don't just turn the student loose and say, okay, now go write us a story. Instead, mm. first you fill them up with all of these great and wonderful stories that um, have been written by these master writers. And once, you know, you kind of internalized all of that as a student and, and you've you've become used to the structure and, and, uh, some of the, some of the things that make a good story and some of the things that are worthy, then you turn around and you start creating your own. And so what I hear you saying is that these written prayers, as we pray them, uh, especially things like the Psalms and the Lord's prayer and make them our own, we can then turn around and, and be better able to, you know, come up with our own prayers and learn how to prayer and pray in a, in a way that, is not silly, but is worthy. Yes, 
I think that's right. The the Lord's Prayer is a kind of um, model for us, a pattern, as are the Psalms and other passages of Scripture as well. So yeah, it's a both and proposition, but we 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 want to be schooled certainly by Jesus and by the Psalms to know how to pray. So I think that's precisely right. And it, it is analogous to, say, learning rhetoric uh, or l- learning, um, you know, the art of conversation. The, the, the more you have memorized great poetry and literature, the more that's going to influence your own tongue and your own way of thinking and expressing yourself. But there's also a further, you know, spiritual dynamic at play, which is scripture itself has has a kind of power to it that transcends mere literature. As the writer of Hebrews says, it's living and active and penetrating to our heart and soul. So to memorize uh, biblical prayers is to be in a kind of communion with the Holy Spirit that mm. is also meaningful and and makes it extremely wise to do so. Oh, I really like that. Yeah, that's that's an excellent thought. And just to think about once again, and as we memorize things, we're not memorizing anything, even you know, prayer or anything else, just simply for the sake of memorization. And you know, this speaks for scripture as well. But but in order to write these words on our heart, um, and I like that thought of being in communion with the Holy Spirit when we when we pray these scriptures. So. Mm. So how do we teach and learn the practice of prayer? What are some things that have worked uh, in your family? Mm-hmm. Some, some kind of, um, um, uh, to use the Latin, a regula, a, a rule, uh, a routine, a practice that you don't have to invent day to day. It's for, for those of us who are Christians, it's a practice or a kind of a, a regimen for us to worship on Sundays. And it, that's been so habituated in us that we don't have to think about what we might do on Sunday morning. We're going to do that. We know it's the right thing. It's blessed us. It, it's not even something we generally question. So I think it can be very helpful to create some practices or routines of prayer that are, are simple and achievable and I think the best way to do that is um, th- three things come to mind. The beginning of the day, the end of the day, and meal times. So whenever the family gathers and is quieted, there's an opportunity for prayer. Certainly meal times qualify. But, uh, you know, if you have younger children, you're putting them to bed. This is a, this is a, a ripe opportunity to create a regular where we, you know you, the day is ended with your children in prayer. Christians who are from traditions where there is a kind of altar uh, in the home, a, a, a place set aside for prayer, reading of scripture, I highly recommend that even for those of you, those of, those of your listeners who might be from a tradition that, that doesn't have that, there is nothing at all antithetical to any Christian tradition I know of, to setting aside a time and a place. I mean, even, you know, the most kind of low church Protestants probably have a Bible somewhere in their home, right? And so right. having having the Bible in a place with uh, with the Psalms uh, to there as a prayer book is, is, is a great place to start. Just reading through the Psalms with your children and, and letting, you know, reading a Psalm, praying the Psalm as you're reading it, and then maybe having some 
some prayer afterwards. But most most parents instinctively know when they're with their children that they there are certain things to ask God for, thank God for. Um, our churches teach us this just by going to the worship services. We generally are going to engage in confession of sin, uh, the adoration of God, giving thanks to him, and bringing to him our petitions or supplications. These are just well known. It's just a part of Christian worship in every tradition. So why not have a time of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, and use the book of Psalms as a, as as your prayer book? That's a simple way to just begin to pray. It's a it's a kind of it's a kind of routine. But I think it's also important for families that don't have that routine yet to start simply and not to you know, not to become too legalistic about it, not to beat yourself up when you can't do it as regularly as you want. But if you're bring, if you're if you're waking your kids up in the morning, you're gathering them for breakfast. Why not set aside even two minutes to read a segment of of the Book of Psalms, to read a, a small a small prayer from your tradition, from your prayer book, from a prayer book that you that you procure, and then have your own extemporaneous prayer attached to that where you thank God for the day and ask for his blessing upon you and pray for those that are on your heart and mind. So I think, um, and then establishing a routine, a lot of classical homeschoolers have appreciated this idea that Cindy Rollins made popular called morning time, which is just kind of a morning gathering that happens frequently during the week, usually for the purpose of starting the day, um, making sure every, the ch- children are kind of at the right set, uh, disposed to, to, to learning. And uh, it's often at a time of where parents read aloud to their children something uh, you know, true and good and beautiful. It's a time to read scripture and pray too. So um, those, are, those are the kinds of things that come to mind. And, and what we've done in our home is just, just that, just tried to have a, a beginning and an end to the day that's guided by prayer. And we use a prayer book. And yes, we have a place set aside in our home where um, the scriptures are out and um, some icons and um, candles, and um, it focuses us focuses us and gather and, and uh, you know, disposes us to, to to pray. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes just that simple act of lighting the candle can get everyone kind of calmed down and. You know, the understanding that we're moving into, you know, the morning has been chaotic and we always light a candle at the beginning of our morning time and we start with a greeting. Um, I tell the children, uh, the Lord be with you and they respond and with your spirit. And uh, because we're Catholic, then we make the sign of the cross and we open with, you know, whatever our religious reading is at the time. And mm. so just that simple act of lighting that candle and and doing that greeting and that greeting that we've pulled from, you know, in from our church tradition. And mm. so for the kids, it kind of turns them on to the idea that this is a time set aside. This is similar to the time that we have at church. And so mm. kind of calms down <laughs> any mm. chaos that might be going on. It doesn't always last a long time, but it, it does kind of get their attention at the moment. That's lovely. And and if you were able to uh, occasionally um, include some singing, that, mm-hmm. that helps too. And at various times in our family's history, we've been able to, you know, 
sing a hymn or a spiritual song of some kind, um, even a portion of it. You know, those in the Eastern Orthodox tradition will often sing or chant through prayers in Scripture, and that creates a kind of uh, different ordered space and time that changes the experience when you when you chant or sing. And I love the fact that you mentioned lighting the candle because that orders space and and signifies that we are attending in a different way to the Lord. So I think looking for those ways of ordering our time and our space and our environment so that it disposes us to pray and to contemplate for a period of time, even if it's a short period of time. I think a lot of families and Christians um, make the mistake of aiming too high mm. and thinking that they're going to have a, you know, a 30-minute deep, quiet time, prayer time, and it's going to be rich. And I think it's um, more important to to do less regularly and um, to, to try to create these bookends for the day. And then I think helping your children to memorize some scriptures, you know, if they have helped them to, to memorize Psalm 1 and others, it will always be there to call forth whenever you need to pray, even if it's just going to be for a short period of time when you're tucking them in and you only have a few minutes for some reason. You can still pray through a psalm together or some other scripture passages or other prayers that have been memorized. Yeah. And, you know, it's, Speaking about memorizing the psalm or memorizing other prayers, one of the things that I love so much about these written prayers or these prayers that we memorize and say again is that, you know, especially as a mom, and I know we just get so caught up in our day and I have 101 different thoughts whirling around in my head and so many things going on. And sometimes it's hard to quiet myself to to come up with the words that I want to say. Yeah, And, and so... Yes. I'm still able to pray, even if I, you know, by by calling on these other words. And so it takes some of the pressure off of me to to come up with the words. I can still pray using someone else's words. And so mm. I, I just find it really helpful. I do too. And um, I usually am carrying around a little prayer book. I just keep it in my briefcase so that, uh, yes, I don't have to let that be an obstacle. I, I know mm. I need to pray. Like I took, I was a, I had a, I was out of the country for a week, and uh, if I hadn't brought that little prayer book along, and uh, you know my day was somewhat unpredictable occasionally, you know, and I'm on in the day. What what do I do? What do I do? I don't. I, oh, where did I bring my Bible with me? No, I have to go to my phone and get the Bible app. You know, and sometimes those little obstacles just, you know, the space and time has not been ordered regularly enough to ensure that it's easier for me to pray. But having that little book, the small little book with me at all times removes those obstacles and makes it, you know, when I'm tired and I can't think well. And then when then I'm looking at those prayers and those passages, scripture passages again, I'm reminded that this, this is a good way to pray and I'm able to do it. Yeah. And I think it's so much more important that we do we know that we have a, a, a regimen set that enables us to pray without too much complexity and challenge so that we so that we do pray. Um, I think there's, a, there's so many, at least in my experience, and it may, maybe it's more temperamental, but there seems to have been over the course of my life so many silly obstacles to keep me from praying. 
you know, I, you know, I, I, because I think I have aimed too high uh, a lot of the time. And then therefore, if I can't do it at this level, I, I feel like I shouldn't do it, you know, but I, I like the way um, a lot of church leaders and pastors teach us in this regard. You know, it's 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 much better to pray briefly using scripture than not to pray at all. And it's OK to be to be making small steps in this direction. That's fine. But 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 doing it even even and even modestly is a, is a wonderful thing. So I think what I hear you saying, and I want you to speak about this, is, you know, I, I think another barrier, uh, but because I'm quite familiar with this, I think I think it's perfectionist <laughs> tendencies, Doctor Perrin, <laughs> that you know, if I, if I can't do this really well, or if I can't do this for a long time, I'm not going to do it at all. And I think another barrier that comes up a lot of time for moms is they're like, well, I am not, I'm not adequate enough to teach this. You know, I'm not up to the task of teaching this because my prayer life is imperfect. So what would you say to the mom who feels like that? This, you know, I can't teach my children to pray because my prayer life isn't perfect. So who am I to teach them? Yeah, it's it's like it's the same thing about an education. Um, none. No one. Mark Van Doren says this in his book, uh, Liberal Education. He says no educated person confesses that he is educated because mm-hmm. To the person who's even well educated, he's more he's more conscious or aware of his ignorance than what he has learned. And it's like going into a you know beautiful museum where you feel small. The the world and the, the knowledge of all things that we could know is so vast that no matter how much you've learned and mastered, you feel like a child before the this amazing astonishing world. So it's it's only other people who call call a man or a woman educated <laughs> and i think that's true of our prayer life as well it's you know it's it's none of us feel like we've we have a, a perfected prayer life you talk to the most mature spiritual spiritual people that you know and what they confess is humility and uh, you know their their own lack of holiness before a holy god it, you just can't get to the you know the love of god and knowing god does not allow for a kind of um complacency or pride or a sense of I've I'm I'm done I don't have any farther to go so I think it's to that to those people who are perfectionists I would just say that none of us are there not and won't be you know until we're with God and maybe not even then so I think that yes the perfectionists tend to shut down and say well if I can't do it at this level I'm not going to do it at all that that's probably um um, self-deception or a lie coming from somebody else, it's it's not worth paying attention to. But there's another kind of person, and it's the person who might not be the perfectionist, but who just says, you know, I'm doing the best I can, and it's okay. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm raising three kids, four kids, you know, I got, a, I got a dog or two. So what that I'm not able to pray, you know, uh, this way? God knows my um, heart and circumstances, and you know we are making it to church once a week. That's sufficient. That to me would be an error in the other direction, because we are commanded to pray, and we've been taught how to pray, and we need communion with God. And so there's there can be a person who's complacent in the you know in this other direction, just saying, oh, you know, it's, it's it's okay. It's just God. 
God accepts me just as I am, and he knows I'm doing the best I can. It's just not a problem. So there may be some of your listeners who have been tempted that um, in that direction. And that needs to be repented of as well. This kind of, you might call it a cheap grace or um, too, too easily contented with our own lack of holiness and devotion. There's another kind of person who might say, you know what, we're all a mess. We're all broken before God. This is just the best I can do. And thank God for his grace and mercy. And so there's there's a kind of modicum of truth to all of this, right? Yes, none of us are perfect, but that not that should not keep you from praying. Yes, all of us are busy and have much to do. And yes, God loves us and accepts us as we are unconditionally. But that doesn't mean that we don't strive to know God better and 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 seek to to grow spiritually and make every effort to be holy. That's what the scriptures say, to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. Knowing that we may never achieve that, but that's the goal. We're seeking to 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 press deeper and farther into the knowledge of God. And and then to say, well, we're all a mess. Well, that's true too. Yes, we all are um, not where we want to be. But that doesn't mean that we should be content to be a broken mess. We should be seeking healing and restoration and wholeness. And that's what the scriptures say that Christ has set out to do. So it seems to me that the devil, as it were, kind of gets in and, and takes some of these things that are true and mixes it with a lie. So the virtue between those two vices is... To pray as as often and as well as we can, even if it's only for a few minutes. Yeah, I often hear this about fasting. You know, if, if if you're trying to start the discipline of fasting, and if you're at a church that fasts, say, for you know about a month going up to Easter, and you try to just do it for the first time in your life and cut out, say, you know, dairy and and cheese and eggs and meat for 30 or 40 days and you've never done it before well good luck you'll <laughs> you're going to encounter some difficulty and pastors who know this are wise to say you know you, you, you don't 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 try to do this that way you're 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 your first time doing that you know you, you don't have to keep the fast that that way as someone who's doing it for the first time and that's just wise spiritual counsel that some of these things we have to grow into, and it's gradual. And our habits and dispositions and practices will change gradually. So I think it would be the wise man or woman who would look at his or her life, maybe in conversation with another uh, wise friend, maybe even a pastor, and say, how should I approach growing in this, in this um, practice of prayer? And I, I guarantee you, the vast majority of pastors will not say, oh, you've got to start doing a half an hour in the morning and a half an hour in the evening. Go for it. You can do it. Start tomorrow. It's just like athletic training. There's a kind of gradual process of beginning that needs to occur. And I see this as a, a place where we're going to need to understand that same concept with our children as well. Mm -hmm. You know, e even as they mature and they mature past 
uh, you know, in our tradition, the blessing was, uh, when I was a child was God is great. God is good. Mm. And, uh, you know, before bed prayers were now I lay me down to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so even as a child comes out of that into different kinds of prayer, they're still over, they're going to need that time to mature and to come to a deeper understanding of, of what prayer is and, yeah. um, yeah. and how it can kind of guide them. I agree. And I think, I think one of the wonderful, another wonderful aspect that we hadn't, we haven't talked about yet of, praying with your children is that they will instruct you too. You will see them praying in faith with hope and love that will warm your own heart as your children pray. And you will see God answer their prayers. You know, it's, we're not just doing this because it's a, you know, we're, we're trying to have them win a ribbon at some kind of a recitation competition they're actually praying inspired by the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus to the Father. And when children do that, the Lord hears and listens and answers. And when you begin to see that happening, well, isn't that a wonderful motivator? So there's some surprises in store for us when we teach our children to pray. They will pray for us. They will pray for their parents, and God will hear those prayers and do things uh, that are remarkable. Um, often they will pray with greater faith than we do, they, they, with that kind of that, that the great innocent faith of a child. So that's there awaiting for us as a blessing too. Sometimes we, we don't anticipate or think about that when we begin. But the, the prospect of starting small and you know, learning, memorizing a prayer like the Lord's Prayer is not hard to do, and it, once, say, the Lord's Prayer, just to take that as an example, is memorized and known well by your children, you can begin to explicate that prayer. It can become a, a teaching tool. You can, I think some parents make the mistake of memorizing the Lord's Prayer without fully helping children to understand um, as they grow and mature what, what, what that prayer means and how it leads to other prayers. It's a model prayer that teaches us how to pray other prayers too. So to pray our Father, you know, that there's some, we, there's, my goodness, what a remarkable phrase. God is like a Father. He chose to be called by that name. What does that mean? What is a, what is a Father like? Especially a Father who's, who's perfect. What would a Father who is perfect be like? And what does it mean that we can pray our Father? Why don't we simply pray my Father who art in heaven? And your children will begin to see this. Oh, it means that we are together a family. You know, you can see the implications, right? And I can see, uh, you know, I recommend to some of your listeners that, you know, they get a commentary on the Lord's Prayer and read about the Lord's Prayer. It is, it has traditionally been con- conceived not only as a prayer, worthy of being prayed in itself, but as a model for how we can pray, generally speaking. So we could, just by just with that one prayer, we could have a lifetime of unpacking what that prayer means and how it can lead to other prayer. So, so conversation is beginning. The, our prayer life and our ongoing instruction of our children, discipleship of our children, can flow right out of of just that one prayer.
not to speak of other things and other prayers, other, other psalms and other prayers that might be memorized. So in other words, there's, there's blessings at multiple levels for learning to pray and for praying. First of all, I love that. God hears. Oh, God, go ahead. Just I'm to sorry. summarize, God actually hears prayers. Why wouldn't you ask God to bless your family and teach your children to do the same if you believe that He answers prayers? James says you have not because you ask not, and be and because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own evil desires. Well, we we need to get that straight. But God's going to answer you know, answer those prayers. So. We, we maybe we're just not always thinking correctly about why we should pray. Hmm. It is bad when you give me something to think about and I have to think before I can talk again. Well, it's, which is great. I mean, our our, our motives are um, are obstacles too. Um, you know, I I think um, I'm I'm speaking to myself here, by the way. You know, in many cases. My oh, life, yeah. it's been, um, I viewed prayer as something I should do. Kind of like I should go to the gym more often. I should mm. diet a little better. I should pray more. But, in, and of course it's true, but what I often haven't thought about is that prayer is something that exists at a deep level than just keeping fit. Um, it's communion with God and God actually hears. This is making me think about that wonderful passage in Proverbs 2, and this does relate to education. Proverbs 2 says that if, you know, it's a father writing to the son, you know, my son, if you treasure these things up within you, if you call out for wisdom and discernment and understanding and knowledge as if it's hidden treasure, cry out for it like it's silver and gold, then you will find these things and they will direct your ways. But note that the father is saying to the son, you must call out for wisdom yourself. I can't merely call out for it for you. There comes a time, son, when you, you yourself need to knock on the door. I can't be knocking on the door for you. You need to ask. And the door will be open, and you'll become wise. But you have to call out on the name of the Lord yourself. So that's another, to me, a motivating factor. You know, are are our children learning to call on the name of the Lord? Are we teaching them to pray so that they are calling out on the name of the Lord? Or are we simply trying to get through the prayers, you know, say our prayers, and then check off the box. Well, to some degree, of course, we're doing that. But but at a deeper level, our children are learning to pray, and they are beginning to call on the, uh, you know, call on the Lord themselves. So I think there's a place when we're working with our children where we want to say, you pray now. Hmm. And of course, we want to direct their, their minds and spirits, even when they're praying memorized prayers, to not just recite the prayers, not just to say the prayers, but to believe the prayers and to understand this as legitimate conversation with God. And then, and then we're back to them growing wise. Uh, in fact, I think that perhaps what that Proverbs 2 passage is teaching us is that our kids will not grow wise ever until they 
asked God to give them wisdom. And that's something they have to do themselves. In other words, you can't really teach a student until he's willing to teach himself. And you can't, you can pray for someone, but you can't have them grow in wisdom until they actually ask God to give them wisdom. So that's, that's how important it is, in my view. If, if we're Christians and we want the kind of wisdom that we would call divine wisdom, our children are not going to get it until they ask for it themselves. You know, if there's a, when the children are infants, you can open their mouth and feed them with a spoon. But at a certain age, they have to feed themselves. And at a certain age, our children need to ask, ask themselves, ask for themselves for the, the wisdom of God. So that motivates me anyway. And I, but I can, I'm confessing I have not always or very often thought that way about teaching my kids prayer. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. It's funny because I was reading um, in Charlotte Mason's philosophy of education today about you're her, her talking about all education being self-education. And in, until the student is is willing to self-educate and until the student understands that they're not going to until the teacher understands, too, most specifically that that the child is not going to be educated until they take ownership of this themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, the same thing, I, I that's what I hear you saying about prayer from that Proverbs 2 passage, that until until that child takes ownership of that, mm. then it, you know, they're, they're not going to have fully learned how to pray. Yeah. And I... I know a lot of times we'll have moms who, who ask us, you know, what can I do? You know, my teens are kind of getting disenchanted or they're bored with morning time, or I have, you know, most of my kids have left home and I have one or two teens or one teen left. How do we do a morning time? And one of the things we've, we've kind of always said to mom is let, let the teen lead the prayer. Let the teen be, you know, part of this where they're stepping up to lead everyone else. And I wonder if, if that would not be a way to then kind of help steer them in this direction, you know, as they're leading others in prayer mm-hmm. to, to pull in their own ownership of this. I, th- I think that's right. And, um, and that prop, that process can probably begin um, earlier than when your, your child turns 17. Uh, you can begin to um, give them various kinds of leadership early on so that it's a, a gradual and natural process of mm. learning to lead and to pray. Some other related practices I think that might be relevant to to your comment there, Pam, is uh, you know keeping a journal or a commonplace book uh, where things that you're memorizing are recorded and reviewed and maybe um, answers to prayer and, and contemplation and comments are, are recorded as well. Um, some families will record prayer requests in some kind of a journal that they keep with them in the in the home, so that over time you can see those prayers being answered, and 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 then give thanks to God. When the children begin to see the Lord does hear and answer, and when you can remember the good things that He has done, your comment about the teenager made me think of um, Samuel. And how, you know, when God began to address Samuel, he spoke to him and 
Samuel thought it was Eli he went to go to the priest and say, did you call? You call? And finally, Eli said, look, when that happens again, say, speak for your servant is listening. <laughs> and I think we need to say to our children, there's, there are going to be times when God is going to he's going to speak to you through scripture, through a sermon, through prayer, through an event in your life, through friends, through your family. And you need to be attentive to hear what he has for you because he's going to do something with your life. And um, it's going to be what gives you the greatest joy and probably some of the greatest suffering and challenge too. But um, he's, he's, he's going to have a, a call on you and you want to you want to be listening when that time comes. And I think that's, you see reading scripture will help this, but you you want to kind of, um, as it were, prime the imagination of these children so that they believe that the the Lord wants to use them and direct them and and is going to reach out and direct them in various ways. So those things just change for me when I'm thinking about those matters. It changes what prayer is from just being a kind of a regimen that I add to my gym membership to something hmm. very central to the core of what it means to be a human and to be a human who's been redeemed by by Jesus Christ. This is at the heart of what I'm about. At the heart and core of what I'm about is to be a son in communication with my heavenly father. And if if I as a parent can somehow communicate that to my kids by the way I speak and live and and model life, I think to some degree they will catch this in other ways besides just our morning prayer times and so forth. In other words, it just needs to be a kind of worked in practice that's woven into our life. Just the way we brush our teeth and make breakfast in the morning and get dressed and so on. It's just, this is what we do. But we do it because it's at the core of what it means to be a human who's been redeemed. So those things, I think, uh, it's partly just kind of, uh, I don't know how else to say it, but maybe uh, it's like putting on the mind of Christ. What, what would, how does Christ think about this? How, what would, how do I how I how do I spiritually discern what prayer is really supposed to be like for my family? It's a kind of it's a kind of dining. It's a kind of eating that I need to be sustained and and nourished as a as a as a Christian. So my children need to see that too, and it will be modeled and caught in various ways. These practices that we've been talking about are not the only ways. You know, you may be driving in the van with your children and you get a phone call and find out that somebody that you love in your church or family is seriously ill and your response is on the spot to have the all the children pray. And you are able to use prayers that you've memorized and scripture that you've memorized as you pray extemporaneously in the van for this loved one. That's a tremendous teaching opportunity, modeling opportunity for kids as well. So it doesn't just occur in these kind of scheduled times, although it should. And we have to eat. And eating is such a, um, so symbolic of what prayer is. 
it's it's a kind of nourishment that you know i think maybe maybe sometimes i'm very guilty of this you know i'm hungry <laughs> we're we're sitting down for dinner and uh, you know it's been you know maybe a little hectic and everyone's finally got together at the table and there's some really good food at the table and everybody's hungry and uh, the prayer is rather quick <laughs> uh, you know it's kind of get to it you know but those are opportunities too that maybe we can we can deepen I think that's one of the uh, toughest lessons about prayer at our house is is you have to wait until we're done praying before you actually start eating. It's one of the hardest ones to teach anyway. <laughs> okay, so up until this point, I'd been chatting with Dr. Perrin about prayer. And from here on out, we have a very special treat because his wife, Christine, had just finished teaching a class and she was able to join us via speakerphone for the rest of the conversation. So the quality of the call is not quite what we usually have, but I still think that the insights that Christine Perrin brought to this conversation is so valuable for us. And so we are adding her in for the rest of the call. Well, I've been talking with Dr. Perrin and he has been, uh, actually, I think we've probably come up with content now for a couple of more episodes. He's given me so many things to think <laughs> about. He's an expansive yeah, person. It, it really is. But um, I wanted to kind of get your perspective on prayer and teaching the practice of prayer in your family. What do you feel like, as a mom, what do you feel like has had the greatest impact on praying as a family? Well, I, you know, I think I would hate to hold up our experience as a model because I don't feel that we have done anything that's model worthy. But I would say that the things that were most helpful to us were in a couple categories. Something that was formal that had the capacity to be sustained regardless of our feelings or thoughts or scatteredness in the moment, something that drew us into itself and lifted us up into where it was instead of being dependent on our presence of mind or or clarity or even feeling of devotion in the moment. So that's one thing I think sometimes we all need, but especially children need, to see what C.S. Lewis said so often, which is just, how do I create a habit of obedience, a habit that will sustain me when my own affection, it waxes and wanes. Then I would also say that um, we all know the... Lord, help me to have a good day prayer, and the way in which that is so easily fallen into, even by the parents, especially at the end of a long day when we're so tired or dealing with all the dinner table dynamics that we all (laughs) deal with. And so uh, this, we use philistickles, I'm sure Chris has told you, collection um, called the Divine Hours. And um, so that was, for the reasons that I mentioned, helpful to us. But really, I think these things are somewhat more or less helpful depending on the communities that you're a part of that are 
that you're you're joining the flow of what they're doing as opposed to creating something de novo from your own strength and your own imagination and your own uh, muscle. You know, I I just reflect on how hard it is in family life to have momentum. You just feel resistance all around you all the time so often, you know, and um, I love that poem by William Meredith, which we might insert prayer into, but William Meredith has this poem called A Major Work. Um, Poems are hard to read, pictures are hard to see, music is hard to hear, and people are hard to love. But whether from brute need or divine energy, at last mind, eye, and ear, and the great sloth heart will move. And I think I would add prayer is hard to do <laughs> to that first twist <laughs> in the first stanza. Because it is, it's so hard. And I know that as a child, sometimes I felt like prayer was being used as a vehicle to, you know, sort of, I don't know, preach or be like, send me a message. Or it was being used by the adults, not my parents so much, but some of the circles I was in. So I, I just think it's very helpful when we have a flow of something that's old, that's ongoing, that's language that we can enter into. And when that flow is something that is not just being perpetuated by our own presence of mind in the moment, but by the communities that we're a part of, whether that's a homeschooling community or a church or a neighborhood or, you know, some kind of collective so that the kids feel drawn along that stream by, and, and the parents too, by forces not just within themselves. I don't know if that's what you're asking or if that's saying too much. No, I think you had some wonderful insights there. And it's it's funny because as Chris and I were talking, I talked about the scatteredness as a mom. And, and I think that that tends to be a mom thing. You and I both brought that brought that up, that it's so nice to, you know, w- we both brought it up in the in the context of, of having some of these written or structured prayers because of of that scatteredness that makes it sometimes difficult, I think, uh, for us to slow down and pray. And so um, being able to, to then teach that to our kids. Um, what, what is some of your favorite ways to pray? My favorite ways to pray. Well, my favorite way of all is with, I really love praying at church with a, with a gathering of people, a, a liturgy, where again, I'm entering into something old with other people and, and my work, my labor is to to be present, to concentrate, to to participate, and and but it's something I'm doing with others. So that is my favorite way to pray. Apart from that, I I just love the Psalms. They're the most probably the most important language that has ever happened to me in my life. They're so human. They're so divine. <laughs> you know, it's such a meeting place. Of, of language and affection and and history and and of our story. They steward, if you will, they steward our story, our narrative, the Christian narrative. And we share them with centuries of people. So I, that, that's another favorite way, reading the psalm as an act of prayer. And 
even, you know, if I were to be doing that with children, I would do it like I do it with students, which is to even stop after the psalm and, and lift lines or words or images that came from the text that we were just... So this, this is a method that I use with students. The, I kind of think of it as a, a an answering back to the text. And I find that it's really easy for people to be engaged with it because they can just respond without a lot of thought or preparation or but it's also a cherishing of what is actually being said and sometimes when you start cherishing words you find yourself drawn into something and and you're less self-conscious I, I guess to, to answer your question I like the forms of prayer that are the least self-conscious I like the forms of prayer that cause us to be self-forgetful hmm. So, uh, that, uh, those are two. Do you want more? Oh, I, I think, I think that's such a wonderful nugget. And I want to touch for just a second. And I know that, uh, you have some other obligations there, but you talked about the liturgy being the work of prayer. And you talked about the discipline of quieting your mind and participating in that liturgy. And I think that's something really important for moms is they, they have this group of little children in front of them and they're, you know, reading the Psalms or they're reading scriptures or they're praying some prayers, a spontaneous prayer or set prayer that, that part of what we're doing here is we're, we're showing the kids that this liturgy is our work. It's what we're called to do. And there's a discipline involved in quieting ourselves to be able to do this work. And it's going to take a while to get there. <laughs> but but I love that you brought that up. I love that of yours, the, the discipline of quieting oneself. That's a really worthy topic. You know, what is it that quiets us? How do we cultivate that stillness? Um, you know, Simone Zay said that Perfect attention is prayer, so that this act of prayer in many ways is essential for us to attend. It's essential for us to know how to attend and dwell and be present, which I think we are all Mm -hmm. pretty bad at. So in a sense, she's saying it's not even contemplation exactly, it's more just presence. And so I would think that even with children, it would be helpful to think about what is it what are the circumstances that help to make that possible, make that happen, that sort of presence, you know, that deep breath? I love a book on prayer by Anthony Bloom called Beginning to Pray. And he talks about this in that book really consciously. And he says, you, you must start by coming before God and being ready to listen because God won't speak to you if you're not ready it, you know, because that would be a form of, that would be duress. Um, and so he talked about a woman that would simply come to her prayer time or prayer corner and she would um, knit, but she'd be knitting in God's presence and conscious of that in order to begin to still herself. And um, so I definitely think that what I hear you saying about, you know, about moms and 
probably dads, is that part of our, the presence that we bring to children when we come to pray probably has a huge impact on them, you know, and so even giving ourselves some sort of routine or environment or practice or even community that helps us to do that and to take a deep breath and to remember what we're doing and to enter into it, to settle into it, to come to stillness and maybe even language surrounding that, like let's come to stillness, let's enter in, let's learn to be present, to be here. I find it very fruitful to pray with other people, so, and, and not just other people within the family, but other people even outside the family, because the resistance then is just not as much about <laughs> all the dynamics, <laughs> you know, within the family. So I, I have a friend and several friends, and we, we pray prayers for our children and the children in our church and in our lives. You know, we, we pray a, a small prayer service every week whenever we can. Usually it ends up being more like every month together. And we just really have a burden for that. And, and we join each other. And I just find that that joining of others and even just the prior commitment to the time slot creates a stillness. You know, this has been set aside for this. There's nothing else that we're doing. There's nothing else that we're rushing to. <laughs> this is kind of hollowed out. And then whatever it is that makes us able to take a deep breath and enter into something, those conditions should be, I think, diligently attended to. Oh, I love it. I love it. Because those are things we can control, right. you know? right. Well, Dr. Perrin, before you go, could you tell me, both Dr. Perrin, <laughs> Dr.'s Perrin, um, some of your favorite books. Now, you mentioned Anthony Bloom's Beginning to Pray. Do you have any other books that um, might be helpful for moms who want to learn more about the practice of prayer and especially communal prayer? Yeah, great question. You know, I, I think that um, one of the most important things I would place I would direct uh, moms to is the book of Psalms first, just because, as we mentioned already, it is a prayer book. And some commentaries on the Psalms, you know, doing some some study of the Psalms, I think is uh, really useful. Another thing that I would direct people to is um, some, some, I would look in your own tradition, but even outside of it, for some of the prayer books that already exist. I think sometimes more than reading books about prayer, although I think there are some good ones, and uh, I like um, you know, um, what Christina said about Anthony Bloom. I'm thinking of C.S. Lewis's book, uh, Letters to Malcolm, is it chiefly on prayer? I'm thinking of some of the books by E.M. Bounds on prayer that have been meaningful to me in the past. I came out of kind of an evangelical tradition of prayer, and I remember reading books on the power of prayer, etc., and when I was in um, a Christian fellowship in college, I remember being on the prayer committee, and we would read some books ab about prayer. But the greatest difficulty I ever had was um, just finding a simple practice of prayer. Mm -hmm. And and so I have found that the, the most important things to, to me have been actually having prayer books. <laughs> and we've mentioned several uh, the. The Book of Common Prayer. Um, I, for, I did forget to mention the three-book series by Phyllis Tickle, 
the divine offices, which are lovely. Divine hours. I think uh, divine hours. Yeah, the divine hours. There are, um, and you can get a Kindle edition of that as well. I have it on my Kindle. I have, I have the Eastern Orthodox prayer book uh, with me most of the time, especially when I'm traveling, and that has been very useful. I would look at um, the. Uh, if I was a Protestant, I would certainly get the Valley of Vision, uh, the collection of uh, of Puritan prayers, beautiful prayers, uh, very meaningful and deep. I would, um, if I was in the Anglican tradition, I would get the Book of uh, Common Prayer. Christine, what else is coming to your mind as books on prayer or containing prayer? Well, I really like your suggestion of you know of books. Uh, containing prayer versus books on prayer. Not that, you know, I mean, they can both support each other. But, uh, and I did think of a couple of titles about prayer. I know my mom loves the book Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And I love the book Contemplative Prayer by Thomas Merton. But I agree with Chris that the, that it's it's much better to just get it. Uh, you know, the idea, the things that the fathers and mothers of the church taught us is that all you need is a very simple prayer rule that is completable every day. And that if you do what you can do, even if it's the smallest thing, even if it's just stopping for a moment and saying a few words or saying a, a, a stanza of a psalm, that is better than the scatteredness and the big ambitions that we can't complete and that make us constantly unraveled and, and unattending. So I do think that it's much better to find a prayer. There's a prayer that I think is a great daily prayer. If you Google it, it's and I can... Would you like me to just send it to you in an email, Pam? Yes. I'll send you this prayer. And I can send you a couple of sort of daily prayers that would be nice for maybe a family to say one of in the morning and one of in the night or something like that and start with that simplicity. And I like all of Chris's suggestions about thinking through what people in your tradition have done. Everyone in the Christian church has used the Psalter, you know, the Psalms. So that is definitely a place to start. And if your tradition... Now, I do remember when I was in college thinking that written prayers were very insincere. And and I think that maybe a lot of the written prayers I had heard were insincere. But there is a wealth of people in every tradition pouring out their hearts to God in language and, and, and emotion and um, even theology that is beautiful and rich and worth repeating. And if you think about how often we um, encourage students to read great works of literature, why wouldn't we also encourage them to read language to God that is crafted and beautiful and formal? It's not insincere. Uh, we certainly don't call the Psalms insincere. So anything that can be found, and if, if your tradition doesn't have that, use the Psalms. If, if you want more than the Psalms, I just encourage you to go back to a time when the church was not broken into all the smithereens that it is now, you know, perhaps a thousand A.D., um, and find some prayers, like Google prayers from a thousand A.D., mm. you know, when the church was, and just see what comes up, because there are beautiful ones. 
and often they're keyed to the beginning of the day, the middle of the day, and the end of the day. And so this kind of old way of thinking about prayer was that you would tie the the, the turns of your life, the key hinges of your life, to prayer so that you could remember God, because that's what prayer is, it's just remembering God and being with God. And so if when you rise, you remember God, and when you come to the middle of the day, you remember God, and when you close the day, you remember God, and when you eat, you remember God. Well, then more and more you're remembering God, and you're praying, you know? And so to kind of craftily, thoughtfully tie it to those hinges, I think, is the insight that... um most Christians had in the ancient world, and of course we've lost all of our ties to the hours and the sense of the sun, but but it's easily reconnected to that. Oh, I love it. And I love the fact that, that you've come on and just reiterated in slightly different language so much of what Chris has said. And so I think, I think it's one, I think it's wonderful (laughs) though, because I, I think it's, it's well worth hearing it. You know, this is kind of this, same song from two different two different verses here and so I think moms are really going to appreciate this so I just want to thank you both so much for coming on today so many wonderful nuggets here that I'm going to take to heart and listen to again and again so thank you you're welcome and thank you for giving us the opportunity to realize how similarly we see it (laughs) hear that we've said the same thing without knowing yeah you really have I imagine Chris is sitting over there nodding along as you're talking (laughs) so it's wonderful (laughs) well thank you guys well we want to say too that despite the fact that we have these ideas and we're saying the same thing we're still very much trying to practice it and and have a rule ourselves Mm -hmm. and we we don't always succeed so Mm -hmm. It's really not about understanding everything. It's just about doing it and finding a cycle that does help you to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well said. I would like to thank Dr. Perrin and Dr. Perrin, Christopher and Christine, for coming on the podcast today. Now you can find more from Dr. Christopher Perrin at classicalacademicpress.com. He's over there. So many wonderful products for um, homeschooling your kids classically. Now we'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another great morning time podcast, this time with Cindy West from Our Journey Westward. Cindy and I are going to be talking about that in-between age, the age between when your kids are little kids and pretty much quite willing to do anything that you say you're going to do because, you know, you make it fun and exciting and everybody's happy to be there. And the teenage that Heather Woody and I talked about in episode 61 of the podcast. So there's kind of this middle stage there. And what do you do with those kids? Sometimes they're a little bit gnarly and not quite wanting to go along with whatever it is mom has planned. Cindy and I are going to be talking about that transition age next week. How does your morning time shift and change as your kids move into those tween and preteen years? So be sure to come back and check that episode of the podcast out in a couple of weeks. Until then, keep seeking truth, goodness, and beauty in your homeschool day.